Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, where does Aaron O'Toole stand in the aftermath of the Conservative Policy Convention? We have lost two elections in five and a half years. In that time, we've had four leaders. We must present new ideas, not make the same arguments, hoping that maybe this time more Canadians will come around to our position. An increase in the number of vaccines being delivered to Canada. We will be receiving nearly 5 million doses of vaccines over the course of the next two weeks for a total of 9.5 million doses delivered by the end of this month. And more discussion over what the Biden administration can do to help free Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. I can assure you uh, that the United States continues to prioritize uh, this case uh, as it is something that is important not just to us but to them uh, in terms of respect for the rule of law and uh, uh, support of citizens from around the world. It's Monday, March 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you. So in the aftermath of the Conservative Convention on the weekend, this virtual policy convention, where do you think Aaron O'Toole stands as the leader of the party? There was a lot of talk and scrutiny going into the convention about how he needed to do something to bring the party together and help prepare it for the next federal election, whenever that is. Uh, Do you think he succeeded? Was the convention a success from that perspective? Well, I think here we are, you know, a couple of days after it ends, and uh, Aaron O'Toole's a man with a plan and a party kind of looking sideways at him, you know, saying in his big speech that the party needs to change. And uh, I think, of you know, clearly that message has been received by Aaron O'Toole and others from lots of Canadians in in various polls and in recent election results that the party does have to change. But, you know, if you, you get a sense of the magnitude of the challenge, just in you know on, on one of the key points he made in the speech that you know climate change is real it's a reality the debate's over and then you know that was uh, that was uh, friday and then over the weekend saturday the, the the party membership then votes yeah no climate change isn't real that's not a given they refuse to pass that that resolution so i think it's giving us an indication of how big the challenge is going to be for Aaron O'Toole to try and move this party to the center and develop policies for uh, you know, that might be attractive to a larger number of Canadians when a whole lot of his own membership uh, you, you don't want the Stephen Harper days and want those policies and don't want to make a whole lot of changes so he's got his work cut out for him. And what do you think about that motion about declaring climate change real that was voted down by the convention? How much does that matter? I know it's the kind of thing that people who follow politics closely and, of course, opponents, political opponents of the Conservatives will draw a lot of attention to. But once we get into an election campaign, if Aaron O'Toole is acknowledging that climate change is real, if he has a good environmental plan, uh, will that end up mattering? Yeah, I'm not sure how much. You know, the the bigger problem is what you pointed out. The bigger problem is between now and the election. So, you know, basically the the biggest thing it does, Mark, is it allows other people to define the Conservatives and Aaron O'Toole's policies ahead of Aaron O'Toole having any policies. He's promised that, you know, he's going to take aggressive action on climate change, and that'll be coming in the days ahead. But in the meantime, there's this gap that allows you know, uh, opponents to frame it for a wider Canadian audience. Look at these guys. He says 
you know, climate change, the leader says climate change is a reality, the debate's over. And his party membership goes, no, it's not. So what are we actually going to get if Aaron O'Toole forms government? I mean, that'll be the narrative that the opposition parties are already framing, that you can't trust, you know, the conservatives on the on the climate issue and to, and to come up with a robust plan that will actually help Canada meet, you know, net zero emissions by 2050, which Aaron O'Toole has signed on to. He, he says he agrees with that. And so, you know, I, I suppose he can mitigate a lot of what's happened this weekend by getting it really quickly with some details of what, he, what he's going to do about climate so that there isn't this vacuum that he's created uh, that gets filled by opposition parties saying, look at these guys can't get their act together. And that's it's always a big problem for a party is, you know, this if there's a disconnect between the party leadership and the party membership, uh, voters outside that party and even inside that party look at it and say, you know, these guys can't get their act together. How can they be ready to govern Canada? Let's look at this uh, through a couple of other lenses as well. There's a Supreme Court ruling coming, of course, on the government's climate uh, change policy, the, the carbon tax. There is also increasing debate over whether there will be a spring election, maybe a late spring election. What are your thoughts on those two milestones as they relate to what we've just been talking about? There are so many things going on, Mark, that you know make you think uh, the drumbeat is sort of increasing for a uh, uh, you know, a late spring, you know, maybe June election um, that, that to keep our eyes on. And that is, you, you know, the, the, let's deal with the Supreme Court ruling first. If, you know, if the court has to decide after two out of three lower court rulings suggested the federal government was acting within its power by imposing carbon taxes on provinces that don't have a price on carbon, uh, the, the provinces that challenges Ontario, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. Um so they're going to decide whether the federal government is, is acting within its jurisdiction. If perchance they decided that the federal government was acting outside its jurisdiction, then I think that throws the whole uh, climate change debate wide open. It, 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 you know, it makes it less damaging uh, for what we've talked about, the, the lack of precision on the, on the conservative uh, position on, on fighting climate change and whether it's real or not, if the court were to do that. If, if, you know, and that gives perhaps Aaron O'Toole a little cover to, uh, to develop a new plan. It gives him lots of cover, actually, if that's what the court happened to rule. But, you know, um, we'll see on Thursday. If it, if it upholds the federal jurisdiction, uh, then... Uh, there we go. That That is settled. The federal government can impose carbon taxes, and then the ball's back in the provincial court for these you know, provinces that don't have a price on carbon that is suitable uh, for the federal government, that the federal government agrees with. Uh, they're back to the drawing board, and they have to... They have to uh, come up with it or a better plan or come up with, uh, you know, decide to live with the federal government imposing uh, the carbon tax on them. Yeah. All right, let's talk about vaccines, which is um, probably the number one subject. Oh, just ahead of them. I should have jumped up to finish that thought. The other sure. thing is why, like, look, there's a whole bunch of committee uh, meetings happening this week that are trying to expand the investigations into the Wheat Charity, expand the investigations into the uh, uh, the allegations of sexual misconduct and uh, how the government has handled them at the Department of National Defense. And, you know, that tells me that opposition parties are really pushing hard to find some other narrative if they head into an election campaign that would uh, reflect badly on the government other than having to fight the government on pandemic and, and pandemic recovery. So right. watching those things closely, that that uh, the the, the uh, vigor with which the opposition parties are pushing this tell me they're looking really hard to find something else that, mm. that isn't the pandemic to go into an election with. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, in that context, let's talk about the pandemic, because I think vaccines are on the mind of all Canadians more than anything else we talk about these days. And uh, it feels like we're about to get even more shipments of vaccines in the days and weeks ahead, especially now that the United States has agreed to send some of its uh, surplus vaccines our way in the short term. Uh, How do you think that's going to change things? Well, I think every, you know, we, the government is now, uh, you know, uh, really pushing this narrative and it can support the narrative that every little bit helps, but uh, there's no shortage of every little bit. There there are more and more supplies coming and that's good news for sure. Uh, could they have arrived here more quickly? You know, I've talked about this before. Sure, there's always going to be criticism, but I think you'll notice what's happening uh, in the broader conversation. Uh, things are shifting away from, you know, why has it taken so long to get vaccines? You know, look at Canada's vaccination rate compared to the rest of the world. It's it's sort of focused now on vaccines are arriving in greater numbers, and we're watching to see how the provinces roll it out. But the focus has really changed to individual Canadians, you know, now clamoring to know exactly when uh, they get their shot. That is all connected, of course, to how quickly the vaccines got here. But it seems to be... You know, my observation is it seems to be a little less now about why it's taken so long to how quickly can I can I get the shot. Notwithstanding the fact we're still still hearing from uh, premiers on a regular basis say they could be injecting vaccine more quickly if we had more vaccine coming into the country. And so next couple of weeks, I think, are going to be critical to see just how uh, how many AstraZeneca doses we get, how quickly we get the supply from the United States and what difference that makes and how quickly we see. And we already know that uh, Pfizer's ramping up and still some question marks about how quickly we'll get the Moderna vaccines. But yeah. Um, you know, that's what we're watching to see whether this this pace of vaccine arrival continues to, to ramp up. All right. Let's talk about Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Uh, of course, over the weekend and and even today, there have been things happening in China with these secretive trials that are taking place. But on a different kind of track, there is uh, there is a lot of talk between Canada and the United States, apparently, about what the Biden administration can do to move things along. So what's your sense of, of where we're at in trying to find a resolution? Well, I think, you know, the last four or five days uh, have you know, really sort of made clear exactly how difficult it is to deal with these issues in dealing with China. Uh, the, the Canadian government has managed to uh, pull together a full court press of, of international uh, condemnation. Uh, the Americans are raising it. Uh, they've gone to the bat, uh, gone to bat for the two two Michaels, treating treating them uh, almost as if they're American citizens and they're. Uh, undertakings in their discussions and sometimes confrontational discussions with the Chinese. Uh, we've seen it, uh, you know, at these uh, secret trials in China where, you know, diplomats from other countries uh, are there to support Canada showing up at the trial sites trying to, you know, get access and register their concerns uh, about hostage diplomacy. So there is this uh, apparent full court press and and then we still have the argument, uh, in particular from uh, you know Michael uh, uh, Michael Kovrig's wife saying you know there needs to be a diplomatic solution here, and uh, for a lot of people that means let the United States should step up and you know tell Canada to you know we okay don't we're not going to follow through with the extradition request for Meng Wanzhou, and 
presumably in fairly short order after that, you would see the release of the two Michaels. But the prime minister has been clear on this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there isn't, you don't hear many parties, you know, I'm not sure what criticism we've heard of any of this approach that we're, we're not going to use, we are not going to bow to Chinese demands that we uh, ignore the rule of law to get the release of these two Canadians, because if that happens, then every Canadian in China and perhaps Canadians in other countries become barter material. Uh, if that's the case, if they know Canada will bow to that kind of pressure, then every Canadian uh, in right. in other countries is in is in peril. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Good to talk to you, and I look forward to talking again. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. We have lost two elections in five and a half years. In that time, we've had four leaders. We must present new ideas, not make the same arguments, hoping that maybe this time more Canadians will come around to our position. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues, Aaron O'Toole is gambling on change. Watt writes... As he continues his outreach and appeals to those beyond the party's base, Aaron O'Toole's next real challenge as leader is to bring the party along with him. That has not been easy during COVID, since it is much harder to corral a caucus when they cannot meet in person. Many of the party's MPs are from Western Canada, and they have not been thrilled to O'Toole's move to the centre. But they wanted a clear vision, and on Friday, O'Toole answered. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues more vaccines should mean fewer restrictions. The Sun writes, The entire reason public health officials urged people to stay home was to protect the most vulnerable and to stop the hospitals from being overwhelmed. As more high-risk Canadians get vaccinated against COVID-19, the various restrictions that Canadians are living under should be eased. While rising case numbers is never good news, they mean something different than they did in previous months. With more high-risk persons vaccinated, this means the ratio of people who have serious outcomes will drop. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Commons Defence Committee continues its hearings today into allegations of sexual misconduct among the leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces. Today's witness goes back to the days of Prime Minister Stephen Harper. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the Commons Committee has been hearing some dramatic testimony and some heated exchanges as it tries to get to the bottom of how the Canadian government has dealt with allegations of sexual misconduct among some of its top military brass. Those allegations include two concerning now-retired Chief of Defence Staff General Jonathan Vance. The committee has heard testimony from the current defence minister, from whistleblowers, from the former ombudsman of the Canadian Forces, and today they will hear from Stephen Harper's former chief of staff, Ray Novak. While the current minister was on the hot seat on two different occasions over how the government did or did not deal with what the government did or did not know about allegations concerning General Vance, in fact, it was the Harper government who appointed General Vance, and several reports suggest that on at least one occasion, at least one of those inappropriate relationships, allegedly, uh, was discussed at the highest levels of the Harper government. So committee members will no doubt be asking Ray Novak, as Stephen Harper's former chief of staff, whether the reports are accurate that he raised the issue with General Vance, and more generally, what was known by the Harper government and how it was dealt with. 
Mark, that testimony gets underway a little after 11 o'clock Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will make an announcement and hold a news conference, joined by Quebec Premier François Legault and Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne. He will also chair the Cabinet meeting. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will speak about federal investments in support of bioplastics innovations in the Canadian agriculture sector. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March 22nd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.